You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrated purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. We are all familiar with the rule that says we're allowed to access our super once we get to retirement. But what does retirement actually mean from a super law perspective? And how does this rule interact with people's real life working situations? I'm your host, Craig Day, and here to discuss the retirement condition of release is Tim Sanderson, one of my senior technical services managers. G'day, Tim. Hi, Craig. Great to be here. How are you? Yeah, going well, thanks. Surviving the end of 2020. Surviving the end of 2020, it has been an interesting year. Like we're, we're recording this podcast, we're both from home, um, and I was in the office the other day with Kim uh, recording uh, another podcast, and it was uh, it was interesting because we were commenting there that uh, it's nice to be able to record a podcast without the fear of your neighbour starting up a chainsaw <laughs> or your dog starting barking or your kids coming from home and kind of re- destroying your recording. So, uh, so but we're back back at, at home, but looking forward to uh, 2021 with maybe a little bit more certainty around what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So today we're talking about the retirement condition of release. Now, um, before we start dealing with the issues around the retirement condition of release, I'm just wondering if you can give me a summary of what actually or how this rule works. Okay. So the retirement condition of release, um, there's potentially different ways to satisfy it depending on a person's age. So where someone is between, has reached their preservation age but is less than age 60, then really the only way that they can meet the retirement condition of release is to have ceased being gainfully employed at some point in the past and also their, their current intention must be to never again become gainfully employed for 10 or more hours a week in the future. Right. Um, so for someone who is aged 60 to 64, inclusive, um, they can also satisfy it in that way. So cease gainful employment, intending not to work 10 or more hours a week in the future. But they've got an alternative way of um, satisfying the retirement condition of release, and that is to cease a gainful employment arrangement uh, as long as it ends after they've reached age 60. So where that occurs, there's no requirement for uh, anything regarding future work intention. Just ceasing that gainful employment arrangement um, satisfies the retirement condition of release. Um, Once we get beyond age 64, we then, um, there's no need for the retirement condition of release because, of course, reaching age 65 is its own full condition of release. Right. So I suppose the interesting thing there is between preservation, so preservation age currently 58, but moving through to 60. Um, so for those people, they've really got to cease an arrangement of gainful employment and can't intend to return to the workforce for, for 10 or more hours a week. And, and that's quite important. If you're working 10 hours, that's not going to work. It's got to be less, less than, than 10. 10 hours. 
yeah, less yeah, than 10 it, hours. It actually says that you must intend not to be gainfully employed um, again on a part-time or full-time basis. And of course, part-time is uh, at least 10 hours a week. So, um, so that's where the less than 10 hours comes from. Yeah. Uh, okay. And that's quite important, isn't it? Because that's the superannuation definition of part-time. Um, we could actually be um, getting a job with a new employer after we've turned 60 if we've ceased an arrangement of employment after turning 60. Uh, and they may call that a, a part-time position and that part-time position may be five hours a week, for example. Um, but that doesn't actually include the definition. Well, part-time for superannuation purposes is 10 or more hours a week up to 30 hours a week. So even though the employer might call it a part-time position, it's actually not defined as part-time for superannuation purposes and we'd be allowed to to, to take on that work. That's, that's right, yep. Right. And the other really interesting thing there is after age 60 that um, all I need to do is cease an arrangement of employment. So I could actually be 63. Uh, I've received a job offer to go to my employer's competitor, to say, for example, um, and I decide to accept that offer. I give my notice. I work out my four weeks uh, of, uh, of contracted time to work after I've handed in my notice. And then on the Friday afternoon, I finish up at 5.30 with the intention of starting work on the Monday at 9am with this new employer. And that's all that's required to actually satisfy the definition of retirement because I've ceased an arrangement of employment. I don't need to worry about what my future work intentions are. Exactly. Um, and, and that wouldn't apply to uh, moving within a company, so changing jobs within a company, getting promoted, for example, but certainly ceasing with one employer, starting straight away really with a, a completely different employer. Um, if you're over 60, you've satisfied the retirement condition of release. All right. So let's start to have a look at some of the issues around this. Now, first thing is, obviously, we've got to cease uh, gainful employment. So if we're looking at you know, someone between preservation age and age 60 or after age 60, the requirement is that I've got to have ceased an arrangement of gainful employment. Now, um, what does that actually mean? What is gainful employment? So there's, there's really two parts to gainful employment. Firstly, you're either employed or self-employed. Um, and the second requirement is that you're receiving gain or reward. Um, and APRA's view there is that that gain or reward really needs to be in return for your personal exertion in relation to that arrangement. Um, so when we think about uh, employed or self-employed, um, there's probably a couple of things to think about. Obviously, a, a common law employee can fall within that definition, but also under the superannuation rules, um, there's a couple of other um, potential scenarios that um, are, are captured by employee. And that could include um, someone who is a contractor. Um, and you, you might think, well, that person's really self-employed. Um, but if that person is contracting principally for their labour, then they're really viewed as an employee of that, that business that they're contracting to um, for, for superannuation purposes. So they, they could be an employee for that purpose. And also directors of a company, um, not normally considered employees, but super law also includes a director who is entitled to payment in return for their, their directorship duties. Um, so, okay. yeah, it could be an employee as well. Right. So I'll just go back to those contractors. So when I'm contracted from my labour, I'm thinking what that actually means. And what it means is that 
I've signed on to a contract at maybe a fixed term or, or ongoing, I suppose, um, where I'm actually agreeing to show up at work at a particular time. Um, I'm going to sit there and use the the computers, the desks, all that sort of stuff um, of the person that's contracting me. I'm not using my own equipment. Um, and I'm there to do what I'm asked to do for a set period of time every day. Um, and so essentially what the rules are saying is because you look and smell very much like a normal normal employee would look and smell, not so much smell, but you know what I mean, um, then in that situation, then I'm treated as an employee for superannuation purpose. But if I was to contract that, contrast that with someone that's been engaged to produce a result. So in this case, maybe, case of maybe I'm someone that's been engaged to come in uh, and install a new software system um, within uh, an employer's environment. Um, and that situation, I'm coming in, I'm using my, all my own tools and equipment. Um, it doesn't, I don't need to show up on the work on any set period of time. I'm basically being engaged to produce the result. doesn't matter how, what I wear or when I show up to do it. It's essentially I'm being paid for the production of that result, not for my time and efforts during the day. Is that, that right? That's right. So think about someone like a, a plumber or an electrician who's um, being you know, paid to deliver a, a result using their own tools. Then they're not going to be one of those contracts for labour that we talked about. They're going to be um, you know, genuinely self-employed for, for superannuation purposes. Now, that's not to say that we, we said that you could be gainfully employed or self-employed. So they could still be gainfully employed for this purpose, but they wouldn't be treated as an employee of that business. Yeah, right. So if if I've if I'm the plumber, for example, or the electrician, where I've been engaged to come in and, and install some wiring, um, when I leave that job and go to the next job, I haven't ceased to be gainfully employed with that person that engaged me to produce that result because I'm actually still conducting my self-employed business of being an electrician. So to satisfy that um, cessation of employment. After turning sixty, I'd have to actually shut down my my self employment business essentially. Exactly. So unlike where you treat it as an employee, and then if your work for that business stops, you you can potentially you cease that arrangement. Yeah. If I'm genuinely self employed, um, I'm you know a plumber, electrician, etc. I'd really need to cease that entire business for that that to be treated as a cessation of gainful employment or self employment. Right. And we talked about directors now. Directors are generally not considered to be an employee at common law. And what that's all about is that the directors are considered to be office holders. They're not employees of a business. Um, so technically, you would think that um, being uh, or ceasing an arrangement of being a director actually doesn't cease an arrangement of being gainfully employed, right? But in this case, the CIS Act actually does capture uh, directors and treats them as employees where they're entitled to remuneration. That's correct, isn't it? That's right. And, and I guess the point to make there is you've got to be entitled to that payment in return for your directorship duties to be considered an employee. But remember that you also have to be physically receiving that gain of reward yeah. because you've got to be employed. Yeah. So I, I can imagine a lot of situations where people have their own private companies and you know, they, they might have the ability to pay themselves. So that's normally something that's in the company constitution or you can have a, 
uh, a meeting of shareholders to decide that you're going to pay your, your directors, but you've actually then got to go and pay them. You can't be gainfully employed without that reward actually coming through, and you'd need to be able to evidence that. Evidence that. Um, also, the other issue around um, this people retiring or declaring retirement is their intention. Um, now, I suppose here, when you're looking at people, um, maybe they've uh, they've stopped working on a full time basis, uh, but they would like to maintain their toe in the water in terms of employment, just not for ten or more hours a week. Um, is that going to be okay? Um, that is okay. So it is okay to intend to work for less than 10 hours each week in the future. It would just be really important that any contract that the member was planning to enter into um, didn't really provide for any uh, any instances where it's going to be more than 10 hours per well, 10 or more hours per week. Sorry. Um, so just having that that clear in the contract would be really important. Yeah, that really important. That would help out. Um, what if what if we've signed a contract? So you know, so a clients come in, uh, they're talking to the advisor, and they say, "Oh, you know, I picked up this role for for one day a week." Um, and then we go back and look at that employment contract, and it doesn't actually clearly call out the actual hours that would be worked. What would we want to do in that situation? Well, I think I think in that situation, you'd really need to be basing it on physical working hours, but. Um, if it was possible for those hours to be, um, if the contract would potentially allow it to be a greater level of hours, then getting something in writing from the employer just to confirm that it, it will be less than 10 hours in each week yep. would be really yep. important, just if any evidence was ever required. Yep, okay. And also the really important thing here is to understand that it's that you intend not to return to or to work on either a full-time or part-time basis in the future. Um, obviously, life is interesting. We've just been through the COVID pandemic. We might have had someone that actually declared their intention never to work again. Uh, maybe they did that back in February. We've now been through all of this market turmoil from the the Annus Horribilis of, uh, of 2020. Um, and they're now looking at their account-based pension balance and, and thinking, well, that's not looking real flash. Um, I'd actually like to uh, to return to work. Uh, maybe even turn off my account-based pension and let's say I'm someone that's between age 60 and 65, um, that's, that doesn't result in people's benefits being re-preserved, does it? No. So once you've genuinely met the retirement condition of release, if there is a change in circumstances down the track um, and the member does go back to work, that doesn't change the preservation status of what was made unrestricted, non-preserved in the first place. So they still satisfied that original retirement condition of release. Um, but just pointing out really that it, it definitely needs to be a, a genuine intention at the time of that original retirement um, and then a genuine change in, in circumstances down the track. Yeah, and that you can normally, you know, pretty much see that. You know, you can, you can see that, that there are circumstances that point to the person's need, but sometimes it can simply be, you know, someone's retired um, you know, they've gone and played their, their 40th round of golf and decide actually being retired is not for them and they do legitimately intend to return to the workforce. And that's all okay as long as it was that original declaration of retirement was a genuine, I am pulling up stumps. I do not intend to, to go back for 10 or more hours a week, but, you know, three, six, two years down the track, 
they've actually decided for whatever reason, whether that be financial or actually just the, the mere enjoyment of going to work and, and interacting with people as means that their, their intentions have changed and that that's acceptable. Um, the other point here is in terms of the fact that I actually have satisfied one of these conditions of release. What's the timing of that? So what I mean by timing is that one's talking about, you know, you've declared you don't intend to return to the workforce for 10 or more hours a week. The other one is ceasing at a range of employment. When do my benefits shift from being preserved to being unrestricted, non-preserved? Because I've now satisfied a retirement condition of release with a nil cashing restriction, which means I can take it as either lump sum or income stream. Um, when does that actually, when does that happen? Yeah, so all benefits at the time you satisfy the retirement condition of release become unrestricted, non-preserved. And the timing of that, in our view, is um, different depending on whether you've satisfied it on the basis that you're intending not to work for 10 or more hours a week in the future, or if you cease employment after reaching age 60. Um, so our interpretation would be if, if you've got to make that declaration, um, where the trustee needs to be reasonably satisfied that you are intending not to work for 10 or more hours a week in the future, then you can really only satisfy that condition of release at the time when the trustee has your declaration or any other evidence required um, and you would meet the retirement condition of release at that point in time. Um, in contrast, the ceasing gainful employment after reaching age 60 uh, we mentioned before that is the, satisfying the retirement condition of release at that point in time. There is no requirement for the trustee to be reasonably satisfied of future work intention. So our view would be that in that situation, the retirement condition of release is is satisfied at the time you cease that gainful employment arrangement. So terminate the employment. Right. So so that's an interesting. So it's it's let's say it's I've ceased an arrangement of employment after turning 60, it's actually the balance of my super account on that particular day that gets made unrestricted, non-preserved. That's correct. And so, the yeah, the question that follows then is, well, what happens to benefits that accrue after that point in time? Yeah, yeah. Now, we might come back to that. But before we do, there's also a little actual twist to this story as well, isn't it? So, we're talking about satisfying the retirement condition of release very much in the context of someone retiring and accessing their super. But satisfying the retirement condition of release also is important from a tax law perspective when we've got a transition to retirement income stream, yeah? Because what that does is allows us to convert that TTR income stream, which is technically not deemed to be in the retirement phase, uh, once we satisfy that retirement condition of release, that's one of the triggers that allows that TTR income stream to convert to being in the retirement phase. And why that's important is all the underlying investment earnings then become tax-free. Now, one of the triggers for doing that is retirement. So that could be me ceasing an arrangement of employment after turning 60. Um, and you would think that that's all good, but there's an additional requirement there for that TTR income stream to convert to the retirement phase, isn't there? There is. You have to um, formally notify the trustee that you have satisfied that retirement condition. Yeah. yeah. So in that situation, even though technically, you know, your, your balance potentially could become unrestricted, non-preserved, two months ago when you actually ceased your arrangement of employment, if you're running a TTR, that TTR continues to be in 
well, not in the retirement phase, in, the, in a, essentially in the accumulation phase, up until the point you actually tell the trustee. And that's something we always tell advisors. You know, if you've got clients running TTR income streams and they uh, change in employment after turning 60, get them to get straight on and tell the trustee because that way we can convert all of that taxable capital into the tax-free retirement phase. And you can't come to us five years, or not five years, five months down the track and say, oh, uh, actually, I retired back in February. Um, can you refund all the tax that's been paid on those underlying investment earnings since? And we say, well, unfortunately, we can't because the law is very, very explicit. We cannot actually transfer that TTR income stream into the retirement phase until one, you satisfy this retirement condition release, amongst others, by the way, um, and you tell the trustees. So really important in, in that context. Now, we talked about, um, so I have satisfied this retirement condition release. Uh, so whether that be that I've told the trustee that I'm retiring and don't intend to work 10 or more hours a week or that I've, I've ceased to arrange your employment after turning 60, but then I don't take my money out of super. In fact, my benefits in the super maybe grow because of investment returns um, or that I make additional contributions, and that's not uncommon. So what happens with that additional balance, either through contributions or through um, investment earnings? Is that also unrestricted, non-preserved, or is that preserved? No, so it's if it's left in accumulation phase, then any further benefits that accrue, whether it's earnings or contributions um, after the point in time when you satisfy the retirement condition of release, they will be preserved until a further condition of release, uh, full condition of release has been satisfied. Um, probably the only thing you mentioned there is if, if you meet the retirement condition of release and immediately commence an account-based pension, then further earnings that accrue in that account-based pension, they will uh, be unrestricted, non-preserved. Yeah. So this is one of these um, funny little quirks, right? And I was talking to some advisors last week about this. Uh, and if I've, um, if I've got a client that satisfied the retirement condition released by declaring that they retire and not going to return to work for 10 or more hours a week, um, and then there has been a little bit of growth, then if I've sat left that sit there for a couple of weeks and now there's an extra, you know, $1,000 worth of growth sitting in there um, and then I turn around and want to start a, an account-based pension with 100% of the balance, well, the trustee of the super fund is going to say, well, you can have, you know, what you originally made unrestricted and preserved with your declaration, but that $100 worth or $1,000 worth of growth, unfortunately, that is preserved, right? So why can't I just simply rely on that previous you know, declaration of retirement. Well, the answer is, but that only related to the amount that was made unrestricted, non-preserved when the trustee became reasonably satisfied. I know it sounds pedantic, but the easy way to resolve that is simply to uh, re to satisfy a further retirement condition of release. So in that situation, the person would simply make a further declaration that they've ceased gainful employment at any time in the past and, and they intend not to be gainfully employed for 10 or more hours a week in the future. Yeah. So that, and that, that was a further retirement condition of release. And that was exactly what I was telling this advisor to do is to say you've left the money in there for a couple of weeks now. There might have been a bit of growth. When you send through your account-based pension application, 
maybe also send through an additional declaration just to cater for any growth that's happened since you initially made all of that money unrestricted on preserve by telling the trustees so they got to the point where they could be reasonably satisfied. Yeah. Um, what about, there's a bit of a, a lurking one here though, isn't there? Yeah, so it's more of an issue for people who've satisfied the retirement condition of release by ceasing gainful employment after age 60 because when you satisfy a further retirement condition of release, you can't sim simply rely on that, just that original cessation of employment. Um, so you would need to do, you would need to either, particularly if you've gone back to work, you would either need to cease that new gainful employment arrangement um, or you would need to make a declaration that you're intending not to work 10 or more hours a week in the future. Um, now, yeah, so if you're currently working, that's not going to work. Yeah, so we, we had a scenario a couple of years ago that someone actually did change a job after turning 60, made their benefits unrestricted and unpreserved, then they did a re-contribution strategy, so they took $300,000 out and then put it back in, and then what they were wanting to do was to start an account-based pension. And the problem was that that $300,000, even though it was a cash-out recontribution, it was still a contribution. So therefore, the trustee preserved that $300,000. So when they wanted to start it to use it to start an account-based pension, we said, well, you've got $300,000 worth of preserved there. Um, and they said, that's all right. I've ceased an arrangement of employment after turning 60. And it's just like, well, but you did that before you made the contribution. And so therefore, unfortunately, that preserved benefit stays preserved unless you go and get yourself another job, which they had, but unfortunately that they would then have to cease that other uh, employment arrangement. So it's a little bit of a lurking trap in there. Um, in terms of some of the frequently asked questions we get in relation to uh, the retirement condition release, we've got a couple here. So uh, one question we occasionally get is what about if I've got a client with uh, multiple employers? So, you know, they're working... Um, either two part-time jobs or they've got one full-time job and they work another part-time job on the weekend, can they cease one of those employment relationships? Uh, they can. So APRA's confirmed clearly that, that that can occur. So, for example, if I'm aged between 60 and 64 and I'm working, let's say, a full-time position and a part-time position, um, both gainfully employed, if I cease that part-time position, then that is a cessation of gainful employment after age 60, I've satisfied the retirement condition of release at that point. Right, terrific. Um, now, what about um, this timing of, okay, so I'm, I'm between age or preservation age, currently 58 and 60, I've ceased an arrangement of employment at some point in the past, currently unemployed, can I declare retirement if I don't intend to return to the workforce? So the, the question here is, I haven't ceased an arrangement of employment after reaching preservation age. Does that matter? No, it doesn't. So there's no requirement for that cessation of gainful employment, that component of the condition of release, to be after preservation age or your most recent employment uh, or within a certain number of years in the past. So I may have ceased employment, gainful employment 20 years ago, not worked since then. It's now my intention to be permanently retired. Um, I can still satisfy the, the retirement condition of release, notwithstanding the fact that that cessation was quite a way in the past. The only point I'd make there is that it's really important to be able to have some sort of evidence that that cessation, that you were gainfully employed and it did cease. So whether you, ha you have a termination certificate, you've got 
you know, evidence that you were being paid or uh, evidence of your working hours. Um, I think that would be really important where it is a long way in the past. Yeah. I remember initially looking at these rules and I'm thinking, well, that, that's generous that I could have ceased in employment many, many years ago. And actually, when I started to think about it, I thought, actually, no, that does make a lot of sense. Because can you imagine someone, let's say at age 56, um, they were lost their job, maybe they were made redundant or they resigned, and they've been looking for a job ever since, and they simply haven't been able to get back into the, to the workforce for whatever reason. Um, if, if they needed to cease uh, their gainful employment after reaching preservation age, that person couldn't because they were not working before reaching preservation age. Um, they'd need to go and get themselves a job to actually retire. Yeah. <laughs> seems a bit crazy. So essentially the rules are acknowledging that and saying as long as you've worked at some point in time, um, then you can actually make that declaration now that you don't intend to return to the workforce for 10 or more hours a week, so long as you've ceased an arrangement of employment at some point in time. And I suppose there that, that follows on. The old question you sometimes get seems to be more of a Dorothy Dixer because uh, and you, you deal with it in training sessions um, because I don't think you actually see this that often these days. And what happens if someone's never worked? Uh, and the simple answer there is if you've never, ever worked, then you actually can't retire from gainful employment. So therefore, in that situation, if, if you do come across a client that's never worked and, and probably this generation, the older generations are probably going to be the last ones kind of like that, where you might have had someone um, where the, the non-working spouse stayed at home and looked after the kids and did all that unpaid employment um, and has never actually got a job or worked at any point throughout their whole life, um, technically they can't retire. They need to wait until age 65 to access any superannuation. So if they've made, let's say, non-concessional contributions to super only, the, the first time they actually can access those is not until age 65 because prior to that, they actually have to have had a job at some point, at any point, and either cease that after turning 60 or cease it at, at, at some point in their, in their working life. Um, what about simply reducing hours? So let me run this scenario by you. I've got someone that uh, has, let's say, reached age 60. Uh, they have, you know, throughout their working life, um, you know, they've, maybe they've had a couple of different jobs throughout um, their working life in, in, the, in the one industry. And then they get to age 60 and they think, you know what, I, I don't want to work full time anymore. I'm quite happy to work part time. I let's say one eight hour day a week or two four hour days a week. So I'm going to drop down to that part time. I'm not intending to work for more than 10 hours a week. That sounds okay, is it? Uh, in our view, it is. Um, you've, you've satisfied both of those requirements of the retirement condition of release. So you've ceased the gainful employment arrangement at some time in the past. It doesn't, ha as we mentioned, it doesn't have to be your current employment arrangement necessarily. And you're also able to declare after reducing your working hours, provided that that's been done in a genuine way and, and permanent way, that you intend not to work 10 or more hours a week in the future. So you met both of the requirements and, and you can satisfy the retirement condition of release. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's, and the final question. Oh, probably just Sorry, a, go on. It, it's a different story if the uh, employment arrangement you are reducing your working hours for is the only one that you've ever held. Because in that situation, you can't meet the requirement that you've ceased the gainful employment arrangement in the past. Right, okay. And the final one I'll, I'll just mention, we've kind of mentioned this 
already during the during the, the podcast is uh, what happens if I'm a director of a company, both a director of the company and an employee of the company. Um, and the questions come through is, can they actually resign as a director? And so there's a couple of really important points there. Yes, uh, a director is actually treated as an employee for superannuation law purposes. So they could actually resign their directorship and that may qualify them for uh, for meeting a, uh, a retirement condition release. So let's say they're working full time uh, for the business as a, a common law employee. They're also a director of the business. Uh, they actually resign their directorship and under the terms of the company constitution, they're entitled to remuneration. They actually receive that remuneration and you can evidence that. Uh, and so in that situation, they're resigning from gainful employment, even though they're still a common law employee for that particular business. And as we said before, you can have two jobs, right? And you can cease one of them. So this is an exact, exactly an example of that. So they resign as a director of the company. They treat as an employee for supernational law purposes. They're entitled to remuneration. You can prove that they actually received that remuneration. The other issue to watch out here is just in terms of um, uh, a legitimate termination of employment. So uh, if that director was still doing something uh, or still involved in the key decision-making of that business, they could say, well, you've just made something look and smell like a, a resignation there, but really you're affecting uh, a control over this business. Maybe you've got some other directors there that are just doing your bidding. Um, so in that kind of situation, we do need to be careful, don't we? Because these days, you know, if I'm allowed to turn a TTR pension from not being in retirement phase to being in the retirement phase, um, that has a very big tax implication. And I think that actually the ATO gave us some some guidance or gave us a case study on the ATO website about someone appearing to look like they'd resigned, I think, as a director. Uh, no, actually, I think in that situation it was an employee. Uh, but they continued to be involved in um, the, the business of profit-making activities. And then what happened was that they actually started to receive uh, dividends that were commensurate to the, the amount of activity that they'd still been taking on. And the ATO said in that situation that they would look closely at that to, to determine whether actually a legitimate termination of employment actually occurred. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, and so if, if we have a... a a paid director ceasing that arrangement but continues to uh, you know make some of those key decisions for the company that similar sort of reasoning could potentially apply in that situation right okay cool i think that pretty much covers it tim thanks for your time no problem thanks craig thanks everyone thanks for listening to the first tech podcast please remember these podcasts are designed for authorized financial advisors if you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.